my gosh. Hi, y'all. Welcome back to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Fraz. And I'm Redacted. And we're quitting and we're talking, but we're not teaching. Well, one of us is. Yeah, we did that thing again where we have a teacher on who's still teaching. Say hello. Hi, I'm Fruit Snack. Welcome, welcome, Fruit Snack. Fruit Snack is still in education. Tell us a little bit about where are you surviving and thriving in the K through 12 world? Currently in middle school, eighth grade. It's a it's a time. It's a fun time. On Things have gotten better. Things really? have gotten better. That's good. So things are better than what they have been in the past. I'll say that. We love that. Where were you before? I am from Minnesota and I went to undergrad in Wisconsin. I moved here after undergrad during that fun COVID year. Started teaching here. Oh, so did you start teaching in COVID times? Yes. So 2020, it was a great time to move to a new state and to start a new career. Um, would not recommend that again. But Really easy yeah. to make friends when you're in quarantine, I'm sure. Oh, it was so easy. The depression you're got like, to next me. pandemic, <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Exactly. You're in eighth, but what... What grade were you in? I was in seventh grade my first year, and then I was in seventh grade for half of last year, eighth grade for half of last year, and now I'm in eighth grade, hopefully all of this year. Well, sure, I would heck and hope so. This is what I want to ask you about. They don't normally switch educators mid-year. Right. What happened? We had teachers leave mid-year, rightfully so. Not mad about it. My friend who left eighth grade social studies, she's so happy, and I'm really happy for her. She's in an amazing job working at a museum right now. She's doing amazing stuff super happy for her some other teachers left they're doing great things too so they condensed one of the seventh grade teams we had three into two teams and then they moved my entire seventh grade team to different grade levels did they switch your subjects still social studies but like medieval world history and then eighth grade is u.s history up until reconstruction so like switching content mid-year you switch content and classrooms that was that was a fun time. No, you did not. Yeah. Oh no. They said just to make it worse, <laughs> you're also moving. You Congratulations. Move. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure was... they gave you ample time to do that on your contract hours too. Oh, right? they definitely they were like... <laughs> definitely did. No, I had to stay late a couple days. I think the last day before winter break, I was like, I need some of y'all to help me carry this stuff up to the second floor. Got the kids to help me with that, and then I kind of slowly started setting up throughout the year. But I didn't go all out because I didn't have the time. Wasn't getting paid for it. Good for you. Because some people would have been like, oh, I need to make it so cute. I need to do all the things. But my advice would be what you did. Don't. I <laughs> literally would have been like, the window hangings aren't done and the kids are coming on Monday. <laughs> literally, they told us the week before we were going on winter break. So like that Friday, they told us Loki had a breakdown. It was during my planning period. Then I had to like calm myself down, had the week to like take stuff down slowly. And then we weren't, we couldn't go back in the building. I was in Minnesota over winter break. So when we came back, it was like it had to be ready somehow. I can't believe they t gave you that information midday. It throws you off obviously mm -hmm. i'm so sorry had you been at that school since you started teaching yeah but yeah. we're we're here we're kicking we're here we're kicking i know i'm like a history stand or whatever but i feel like switching content mid-year with history to me is like in a, some ways harder because history is such like a story building mm -hmm. and such like a narrative and especially like in your second year like 
your first year teaching a history course, you're just like panic, 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 panic. And then the next year, you're kind of like, oh, I know how I want to tell this story. Like I know the curriculum now and I know how to make the story across the whole year and like really like call back to things. Like you get in a groove of it. So to like have that ripped out from under you halfway through the story is like so jarring. And then you just get a new story with new characters and new people that you don't even know them. Yeah. And I, I think it's the same with all content areas too, because I, that's like how I view phonics and English and science like you're very strategically choosing at least your second year not your first year your first year like you said panic panic your first year you're like you're surviving I'm one day ahead of the children yeah today's world war one yes Let's talk yeah. about. hello <laughs> the, the kids are like what's world war two and you're like <laughs> not yet <laughs> silence don't throw me off but yeah the second year you're like okay, you know what? The kids really respond to this science lesson at this time of the year because in the curriculum, we're talking about bullfrogs and this is about the life cycle of animals and I can stack that so we're teaching cross-curricular. Like, you really get these things Mm -hmm. in your second year. So, like, I just, I so sympathize. Like, I'm getting secondhand, like, anxiety thinking about it for you so like how's this year going um are you having the second year experience this year now it feels no I'm like still in eighth grade but it feels more like my second year teaching like fully in a classroom I don't know if it's the school year or if it's the time of year like October November but I'm burnt out and over it and so we have a long weekend coming up and I'm gonna take a sick day and make it longer yes. so yes. <laughs> just to decompress we love a sick day we love it October is also known as the pit of despair of teaching morale yes <laughs> whatever you think your low is October in education will bring you lower. February. October and February. February. Ooh. My last day teaching was February 18th. So I didn't, I, 10 more days, couldn't do it. Our um, calendar is like such that March is really brutal. So I've always been told by mentors, like, don't make career decisions in October or March. But now is a person who very much encourages everyone to find their joy I'm like screw that if you're angry and you're upset or you're like just sad or burnt out who cares like hit the bricks hit the bricks it's over though it's just going and then it keeps going and then it's going and then you're like it's still October and it's going yep no breaks nothing no just constant nothing somebody told me they had a fall break and I was like pardon me like that sounds lovely but never had such a thing myself We had one in September, and it was very nice. Only the second year, I think, that we've done it, it was needed. How long was your fall break? Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I think our union fought for it. Sorry to move backwards, but how did you find out that you were switching grade levels? It was the middle of the day, but what was the communication method? Um, Oh, the communication. So I was, like, about to go to the bathroom, because, you know, you go to the bathroom during your planning. Only time you can go. Yeah. And... My coworker was like, we need to go to the auditorium. And I'm like, what do you mean? Because I didn't I didn't have an email, didn't have a text message message from anyone that I needed to go in the auditorium. And I get all these text messages from one of my coworkers, my one of my really close friends, and she's like, You need to get to the auditorium right now. And I'm like, Okay, like I'm coming. Like, damn. <laughs> it was awkward because literally all of the seventh grade teachers are sitting there, all of the admin is in there, and I walk in and I'm like, oh shit, like are we in trouble? So I sit down, like they're in the middle of talking and they're explaining how there's going to be some movement and they're explaining who's going to move. 
And I'm the type of person who doesn't like to show emotion. So I was like trying to remain like really like calm and stoic. But I literally start having like these angry tears and I'm fucking pissed off. Excuse my language. One of the APs tries to like console me and they're like, we'll be here to support you. We'll mentor you. One of the APs absolutely love her. She taught US history and she's like, I will be here to support you and help you with anything you need. And thankfully the other eighth grade teacher is the department chair and she's one of my really close friends like outside of work. So like I knew she'd be there to support me, but like I was really angry and frustrated. So the communication, not, not the best. I would have just like sent them an email afterwards, like titled meeting follow up. And then the contents of the email would just be an audio file of me screaming. No words, <laughs> just literal roars. Just screaming, <laughs> screaming, more screaming. Do you feel like they followed through like with your support? Like did you end up feeling supported by them or was it just not enough? There are certain people at my school that are extremely supportive. And I think there are people at my school who they try, but they're not not yeah that's a bummer. no no support just vibes no support just Khan academy yeah Khan academy crash course <gasps> love crash course love a crash mm-hmm. course big fan i remember fan. this is so irrelevant but i remember when i was in like 10th and 11th grade i was taking ap like world history and then u.s history and our summer reading list was literally just 30 crash course videos they just sent us like a document with the links to them mm-hmm. and said we needed to write a paragraph about each one and then on the first day of school we took a test over them and looking yeah. back like is that allowed like i feel like that's not how is that even a reading list? <laughs> Have you told Hank Green that? No. Should we invite him on the pod? Like, I had not thought about that till this exact second, that looking back, like, that's a weird fucking summer assignment, and the fact that it happened twice. And to watch 30 of them. That's what I did when that's I studied for my Praxis. Yeah. I watched all the Crash Course videos in double time speed. No, and I remember I was watching them and obviously I procrastinated, so it was like two days before school started and my mom was like, are you binge watching Crash Course videos? <laughs> it had been like hours and I'd have to do it in half speed because I was like, let's slow the book down. I've never learned any of this. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. No, you should make a TikTok and tell Hank Green that because that's freaking amazing. <laughs> so it's Please the do. third pillar of US education is Crash Course. It is. That's how I did my CSET studying too. Same th- when I discovered that, I was like, "Ooh, I love these." Why did I think but, you were about to say C-section? And I was like, "They have that on Crash Course. The doctor knew how to do that." I bet they do. I've seen some very handy YouTube they have a little videos. Bit of everything. They do, don't they? So on a like a non super education policy related note, just because I'm nosy. What content did you like more? Like, did you have like a preference? Like, aside from kids, the chaos, the teaching, like what content, US or medieval, did you vibe more with? I think medieval is a lot more fun with some of the inquiry lessons and getting kids to buy in. Our first unit of like real content is medieval West Africa. And it is so awesome being able to teach that and get the kids like hooked in and learning black history that doesn't start with enslavement, which I never had growing up. I never learned about Africa other than slavery. So I really love the curriculum and then we go into like different American cultures and groups like the Nahua and the Aztec and the Inca and we learn about like the rise and spread of Islam and there's just like a lot of really cool stuff that I don't remember learning growing up and US history it's really important and I want the kids to like get the full history of it 
it's just like low-key a downer colonial era to reconstruction it's like high-key a shitty part of history and there are some really cool parts of it but there's like a lot of like hard conversations which you probably know so i prefer medieval world history i feel like i can do more quote-unquote fun stuff with it Mm -hmm. teaching founding u.s history is tough i've never had to do it the class i taught was civil war to the 2008 recession was our like course line and i liked that a lot more because i remember learning the founding stuff and like you're right it's so important but it's hard to get kids engaged with it because it's like depressing old and confusing Mm -hmm. triple three Yes. I love that you taught more modern U.S. history. I think we only went up to the 1960s. I think they spent a day trying to cover like 40 years of history. I never learned past the 60s ever. Like it's all on my own. That was my experience as well. And my first year teaching, it was actually incredibly difficult because I didn't learn any of that stuff. So I had to teach it to myself to teach it. And it was through teaching it that I grew to love history more because I learned the Vietnam War in two slides on one day. And like being able to spend an hour and a half teaching someone the Vietnam War. And like now I'm like an old man weirdly obsessed with the Vietnam War, not to plug myself but we're doing a two-part um educational stream about it but like it's crazy how many americans are like ignorant to modern u.s history because the school system glosses over it for so many people can we plug your stream though yeah because i love that you do that the reason i love that you do that is not just because i think you're hilarious i all i do i would listen to you talk about like the phone book you know <laughs> but <laughs> I it. the interjections would be thrilling but i because of what you said because we we have to learn things on our own yeah you know so let's plug let's talk about okay. it so we're gonna have a plug our plug is that the u.s education system really fails especially i think people around our age like people in their 20s and 30s on history of 1960s, 70s, and 80s specifically, which is my favorite time in U.S. history. So like most of my streams are about things that happen in that time. Because if you think about like the technological advancements that came about, like that's when computers became a thing. That's when international shipping and trading became a thing. That's when like mass travel became a thing because of airplanes. The world we live in today, most of our problems and our good things and greatnesses can be traced back to that like 1950 to 2000 time period. So I love stream and the history streams because it's an easy way to learn about that because when you Google it, it's so hard to learn about it. Like what you get is biased, it's conflicting, it's confusing, it's politicized. So like doing stream and teaching the history classes like fuels me because people are able to engage in something easily while learning about like the world we live in. So if you want to learn about the Vietnam War and why it's literally batshit crazy that we were there, on November 9th, we'll be talking about just the Vietnam War in general and all the protests that happened because of it because American protesting and what we think of as a protest that's the Vietnam War that's when that started and then on November 16th we're talking about the long-term effects both on the world the economy and on U.S. veterans and the Vietnamese people that unfortunately experienced this event that was an amazing plug back to podcast land so as someone that's in the classroom right now How are the vibes? What issues have you been facing? How are things? What is it like interacting with eighth graders who have lived through coronavirus? The vibes in the classroom are not too bad. The eighth graders are great. Some of them I taught last year, which has been kind of nice, seeing how they've improved behavior-wise. Some of the behaviors feel more like seventh grade behaviors now 
Because usually eighth graders are more mature now, but like some of them are acting very different than what they should be. The vibes at the school right now are, I think everyone's just exhausted and tired. Not completely positive all the time. I'm curious to hear about your union. What's your, like, what, is your union a big union? Is it high join, low join? What's your experience with it? I'm in a pretty big union. My school district is like in the top 50 biggest school districts in the nation. And so I think my union has done great things in the past advocating for teachers. And I feel like I don't have as much of a say because I've only been at this is my third year being a member but speaking to union members who've been in the union for a while they feel like our union's not doing enough just like issues with pay we recently got the first pay increase in like years but it has not matched up with the rate of inflation so like teachers are losing money especially if you've been in the district for a really long time I'm all for unions I love unions I do think there are some very awful teachers that are protected by our union that's probably across the country there are awful teachers like there are people who should not be around kids should not be in the profession and they are just protected by the union and I I love that unions can protect you know the people who are doing what they need to do they're doing their job but like that is one frustration I have you don't have to answer this but is your union expensive yeah yeah. I don't know in re- like in relation to other unions. I think it's like maybe $60 a paycheck. Yeah, that's pretty pricey. Mine was 70 and a lot of times people would say that mine was like on the higher end. Mm-hmm. I'm very pro union if you've consumed any of my content, you know that I'm very pro union, but I also see in like a teachers union is such an interesting thing because it's inherently tied to the government. I've seen so many amazing teachers unions and I've seen so many terrible teachers unions. Mm-hmm. Like I think the spectrum is just crazy the unions that are doing it right are really like walking the walk and talking the talk but some of them like you said I've seen them protect and promote terrible teachers to be union leadership and then they turn around and like don't fight for cost of living adjustments and things like that and I think you know unions can kind of go through this cycle where like when they're started it's grassroots and it's very powerful and then eventually just the bureaucracy gets stronger and stronger and they can kind of turn into a money pit. Mm -hmm. I spent almost three grand on union dues over the course of my teaching career and the amount of print mail that I've thrown away from them where I was like how much of this that I'm doing is going towards print mailers of you just trying to get yourself reelected as union president when I'm buying my own paper because I can't print worksheets for the children. Exactly. Like, what are what are we doing here? Yep. And the print mailer is so accurate. I got one a couple weeks ago that it was like, reach out to us and you can stand outside of an election place and advocate for us to get reelected and we'll pay you $400. And I was like, cool, this is probably my own money just coming back to me if I were to do that from 6 to 6 p.m. I was contemplating because I was like, but then I was like, I don't want to stand outside from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Advocating for whoever, because it's whoever they tell you to. That's like giving me the same vibes as like paid protesters. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that, actually. I didn't know that people did that. Like, I, I thought either. the whole point of a union is that, like, because it's grassroots, like, we care, so we show up because we care, and you don't have to bribe the members. That feels kind of... 
Right. Not in alignment to (laughs) the purpose of a union. I'm like shocked. So what issues do you think are the biggest things in education right now? Whether it's like student literacy, funding, like what are big things that are standing out to you either that you've seen like since COVID or new this year? Student literacy, definitely teacher retention, substitute retention, and also the like hand-holding kind of with students of not being used to struggle through things and just like expecting an answer like expecting Mm -hmm. you to do the work for them and I think that has to do with COVID like they're not used to a school setting where they have to work through problems um and they kind of have to figure things out. I know what you mean about like the struggling through an answer. I would experience that so much where I would like trying to be giving a kid like probing questions like, well, what about this? What about this? Trying to help them like scaffold up to an answer. And they'd be like, just tell me, just tell me. It'll be just faster if you tell me. Like I think like the like shift I noticed and it's obviously easy to be like back in my day in the last couple of years from when I was in high school is like the shift from mastering the material to checking a box of the assignment being done. And I think COVID had a lot to do with that, especially because it was like turn in anything and you'll get a grade for it. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of kids are struggling with that paradigm shift of like, I'm not just here to check off the box saying I did it. Like I'm here to actually do it and try my best on it and not just like put something random and get it over with and move on with my life. Right. And like, at least when I was doing social studies growing up, it was like memorizing dates, memorizing time periods, which is why I despise social studies growing up. And right now it's more about inquiry and like asking questions. You're trying to understand it better. You're looking at sources to come up with an answer. So like there Mm -hmm. might not be a right or wrong answer. You just need to give me a claim and have some evidence that backs that up. And I think some students struggle with that, that there might not be a black and white answer Mm -hmm. and at least in my state a lot of kids don't have real social studies classes until fifth grade and so they're lacking some of those critical thinking skills yeah and I would also say another issue is like passing kids on passing kids to the next grade because I feel like we're doing a disservice Mm -hmm. there are kids who are at a first grade reading level in eighth grade and they have just been passed along it makes me so frustrated it's not something I can fix it's just like the overall system Mm -hmm. by like middle school if they have siblings they know the system they know they could do jack shit and still get passed along and that's really um disheartening i used to feel like a cartoon villain evil witch that was like harnessing children's sadness at the end of the first quarter because i taught 11th grade those kids knew the system literally i would have them say i'll just make it up at the end i'll just do the project at the end and i'm of the firm believer high expectations are a gift and one of my favorite quotes ever is that spoiled children are the least happy and I think children that have not had expectations and just get passed along end up unhappy because then they get out there and are not getting what they want and it's so jarring to them that they're unhappy so I would always feel like a cartoon villain because it would be the end of quarter one and for any of the haters out there I accepted late work all the way until the end. My stance is I'm not going to give you a mini alternate assignment to make up for a whole semester's worth of work. If you want to do the whole work at the end, I'll grade it. But when they realized that truly like no one's coming to help you, 
like all these things that you missed, you are in fact getting the zero for those. They would be heartbroken because they had known the system for so long and it had never happened to them. And the number of those kids who are in college now who have thanked me and said, you were the only teacher that held me to due dates. And like knowing that I was able to pass your class, like gave me confidence to be able to like get my shit together in these college classes and like look at the syllabus and do the due dates. So I think you're right. Like it's such a disservice to create this false expectation for them. Mm -hmm. What you brought up, fruit snack, is like the biggest issue I have right now. Like I talk about it to anybody who will listen to me because I get so frustrated because like you said, we can't do anything about it as individual teachers. I recommended some students be retained last year following like all the social things, you know, like when you're thinking about retention, it's not without heavy consideration, even in elementary school. So, you know, you're thinking about does the child look like they could go to the grade level below them? fit in with their peers or would it be like a social stigma you know you're thinking about even things like that parents have to also be like this is what I want these parents in particular wanted their kids to be retained in kindergarten but then the pandemic hit regardless they are in the next grade and the reason I wanted to retain them is not because I'm evil it's because they were reading at a before kindergarten level it was just not fair to them because they go from third grade where they're already not able to complete the standardized test because the standardized test in third grade is read two nonfiction articles complete a five-page open-ended multiple choice charting all this different shit test and then you have to take both sources take notes answer a prompt using those sources and you have kids that are reading at a fucking kindergarten level crying because they think there's something wrong with them there's nothing wrong with them there's something wrong with the system that's failing them I literally have a bachelor's degree and like that Mm. would be a hard test for me to take it is brutal like granted I did go to Florida State but like I'm sorry you said they're how old when they take that test eight nine brutal and this is before I've never met an eight or nine year old that can carry a solid conversation let alone analyze a nonfiction article (laughs) and produce their own article the thing is before covid they were doing it pretty much i mean pretty much you spend all year building to that so just all down to the academic language you're calling it a passage or a text instead of a story just so that come may they're not like read the passage, use evidence from the text, you know, like you're, you're like really spending all year on that. But it's just not, it's not feasible. And my district stance was, and I don't know about you guys, but my district stance was do not remediate, do not go back and reteach. So don't go teach those second grade standards that they missed. Go ahead and teach them fractions, raw dog, third grade math. Like it was just, it felt so brutally mean and not student-centered and not okay. And this is where it might come into you guys, where in fourth grade, when they take their standardized test, depending on how they perform on their fourth grade assessment, they can either register for honors classes in middle school or not. I have like chills and so pissed off about it. That's crazy. Because then it affects the trajectory of their whole fucking career. I've never seen like the 
middle school selection of honors classes, but I know high school, they would pull me into conferences to decide if a kid could take an AP class. And the school I taught at was very small and had very limited AP options. So it was like a decision for a kid. Like it was not just they could sign up for it. And every time they'd pull up their middle school transcript and see if they had honors classes and how they did in them. And it wasn't always the deciding factor, but it was one of the biggest factors in the decision. And again, like, I don't know how those that came to be. I wasn't a part of that. But I remember sitting with 17 year olds who are getting ready to see if they can take this class that'll help them get into college and being like, well, how'd sixth grade math go for you? Like, it sets our kids on a path that's not their fault. It's never their fault, to be honest with you. Before COVID, it wasn't even their fault because there's just so many factors that goes into performing, quote unquote, well in an academic setting. But the do not go back, do not remediate is why you see students, like you've mentioned, redacted, graduating illiterate. You see students in your grade level reading at a first grade level. And that is the hardest thing is that as teachers, we are literally not able to do what we are there to do. And it's just like really sad. I'm so sorry for those kids because they internalize it. You know, they they really do. You're getting a, a grade and it's your whole world. When you're in school, it's not part of your world. It's your entire world. That social scene, that academics, the clubs you're in, the extracurriculars you do. Oh, my baby. I'm curious to hear, like, what the middle school version of this, because, like, in elementary, I think kids get very, like, emotionally torn up over things like that. And then in high school, I would kind of see the opposite end, where they were just, like, so down from years of it that I would have kids that every time I gave them a test and ours were on computers, they would go, Miss, I don't do tests. Click random answers and close the computer. And I'm like, what did it take for you to get to this point? And the battles that I have to fight where I'd be like, I do not care if you get every question wrong, just read the question, just read the question. I don't care if you only read it one time, just at least read it. And they will be like, it doesn't matter. I fail all of them anyway. I'm just going to get extra credit for something else later. I can't do it. And so I'm curious to hear Fruit Snack, what's like the middle school version of how this is coming together? I feel like it's the standardized testing, like in eighth grade, at the end of, well, we do map testing like every season. Our state testing at the end, last year, we literally did four days of state testing. And that's exhausting. No kid should have to sit in front of a computer screen answering these questions. And it's very similar to what you were saying, Fraz, like it's reading passages and answering questions. And then they get test fatigue, they're exhausted from it. And like, I don't blame them. I would be tired of it too. I do think... I've never taught sixth grade, but I've been around sixth graders and I've, I have sixth grade teacher friends. Sixth graders will cry if they get things wrong and they're very emotional. You do have kids going like, can I make this up? Can I do test corrections? So on and so forth. I feel like in eighth grade, there starts to be that change where some kids are like super in it with the testing and some kids are just like, whatever, I don't care. They'll do the bare minimum or speed through it in 10 minutes and then they turn it in and they're done. Part of it... I think all the testing throughout their life, part of it, I think COVID, it kind of put like a, like a depressing shadow over everything where like nothing, it feels like nothing matters. And I think some of those kids are internalizing that feeling. And I've definitely felt that way sometimes too. Like, what's the point? Why do I need to do this? I've had conversations with my kids because, you know, I, I pull my kids into circles to have heart to hearts way too often. But, you know, when I've talked to them about it, they're like, teacher, I just don't feel like I understand it and I just want it to be over. Like I just want it to be over with so that I can do something else because the way that we're asking them to regurgitate information isn't 
authentic to their learning style and it's also often not the way that we're teaching it so it's kind of feels like a trick to some of my kids you know we see the same thing fruit snack Mm -hmm. in elementary where they're just some of them are just like rushing through and they just are like okay like you said redacted I don't care if they get it wrong because it's information for me. Yeah. I want to know what they get wrong because an assessment is assessing what my students learn and what they know so that I can be a better teacher. Mm -hmm. And I try to present it that way. But if you've had enough teachers who tell you different things and they Mm -hmm. make it about your worth, it's really hard to undo that. Yeah. And the more grades that pass, the harder it is. If anyone listening needs a hack for that, I probably would not take this approach with an elementary school student, but my kids, whenever we'd have that conversation, they were coming to me very frustrated, angry, and upset. And so, like, a lot of times with high schoolers, you just kind of have to match their energy. Don't be angry at them, obviously. But I would just tell them, I'd be like, you're leaving me in the dark. Like, I get paid a medium, small-ish amount of dollars to come here and make sure you know what you need to know. And I can't do that if you're not giving me this information. And, like, regardless of what the dynamic between me and you is, you have to take the standardized test at the end of the year. So, at the end of the year, when I have all all this information from all your peers in order to help them and help myself because I unfortunately have a job too on you we're just gonna have no information and like is that what you want for yourself are you what if you have a change of heart in six months I would just always say like think about the kid you were in 10th grade how different you are now don't be mad at yourself later because of how you acted right now and usually that kind of tough love can kind of break through to them but again to an elementary schooler that probably would not help similar things not like that but I'm like you know I want to help you and my that's my job do you guys ever have kids that say maybe not at the big kid no you don't have that okay so in elementary school our kids will be like what's your job I'm like this is my job do they get their feelings hurt when they find out you get paid to hang out with them they're just like confused like they're like this is your job that's usually the reaction that i get (laughs) or it's like yeah not so much in third grade but very much in kindergarten where kids would be like blown away that they'd be like this is your house this is where you live and i'm like nope i have one and then they love to ask questions like do you have a mom does your mom cook for you questions like that when I taught early Head Start, I mainly worked in the one and a half year old room, so they don't really ask like riveting questions. But one time I was subbing in the three year old room and it was during dismissal and like the last kid was leaving and she was like, oh, so your mommy's coming to pick you up? And I was like, oh no, my mommy doesn't come to pick me up. Like I'm gonna just drive home in my car. Was she so sad for you? Yeah, and then she was like, wait, you're gonna drive in your car, but where's your baby? And I was like, I don't have a baby. I just drive in the car by myself. And she goes, so you're just by yourself? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I know you think about it, I am. Yeah, they get so sad for you. You're when they when they found out my mommy doesn't cook me dinner. They were like, what? Man, fruit snacks and like your magic teacher universe land what would be like all the things you would need to stay in your job and be like I love this job I would never leave this job this is an amazing job like what's your teacher wish list but like from the government better pay yes (laughs) definitely better pay I also would like more time to do all my all the things in my job description I would like more planning time more time to contact parents and families and make those connections, build those relationships, more time to work one-on-one with kids. One of my favorite things about like the COVID year was being able to do like one-on-ones with kids, like office hours. 
that was awesome. Like able to build those relationships a lot closer with the kids, help them out more, more support and understanding from higher ups. Substitutes would be nice. What are the sub vibes at your school? Like if you're not there, what happens? It depends on how many teachers are out that day. So like we get an email every morning of like who's out and who's covering. Like in one position, there is a teacher, her past districts won't release her. So like the ELA coach is subbing until she gets released. What? They just said no? You may not go? Yeah, she's in another district and she like got the position over the summer at my school and her other districts will not release her. I would just be like, okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna, I, I let you guys know, so I'm gonna go. Is there like a fence? Like, what but do you- I think it's connected to her like teaching certification, her license. Uh. And then like they pull the librarian a lot to cover classes. And sometimes our AIC, our academic instructional coach will cover the person who runs course recovery is not able to do her job because she's pulled to cover all the time. Sometimes if there are a lot of people out, they'll split kids on teams. So you'll have like 40 kids in a classroom because they're all split. Sometimes you might be lucky enough to get a sub, sometimes. It's like a four-leaf clover. Yeah, a four-leaf clover. A unicorn. (laughs) And then other times you have to cover during your planning or like PLC time. Do you guys get paid if you have to cover during your planning? This is something I discovered some people are getting. Only if it's during our planning, if it is during our PLC time, we do not get paid. But then we're still expected to do like all the documentation and all the PLC stuff on our own time. Interesting math there. I I would love to be in the room when these decisions get made. How was Halloween yesterday? Oh yeah, how was Halloween and post-Halloween? At school, not too bad. Kids were a little chaotic, awesome costumes. Today was more rough, I feel like. Yeah. The come down. The hangover. Our first class is kind of like a homeroom. Eight kids passed out. Like kids who are usually not even asleep. They're just like oh. drooling, <laughs> head on the table, falling asleep, sitting upright. And it was, I should have taken a picture. It was so comical. <laughs> I usually do the like, just checking to make sure you're alive. And then if you fall asleep again, live your life if that's what you need. Yeah, but some of them were, I was kind of concerned. Like I didn't <laughs> see any body movement. I was like, are you doing okay? Like, hold up a mirror to their mouth to see if they're breathing. You're like, the Snickers got another one. Were they like crazy after that or were they just kind of asleep all day? I feel like that class they were asleep all day and then they were just kind of hyper. I did do a little quiz today, an open notes quiz, because I knew they'd be chaotic, so that kind of quieted them down. That's We did a quick quiz and then a video. Ooh, a crash course? No, it wasn't a crash course, unfortunately. It was American Battlefield Trust. Revolutionary War fun stuff. The revolution's coming. I love it. We're about to have, we're just preparing them for the American Revolution part two. Oh my God, don't. Redacted. Which. Cut that out. I don't want to say anything. I've seen articles. I've seen some articles. Um, so not to be jarring, but they come in 400 year cycles. We are at year 400 and we also have worse income inequality than France did right before the French Revolution. I'm in California. We're going to break off and do something else. Bye. Bye, everyone. I'm not in a state where I want to be if things happen. You can live <laughs> I'm with like, me. I'm going back to Minnesota. <laughs> if you hear any whispers, you can come on over. You can bring your fam. It'll be great. We'll have, we would have fun, I think. We can like redo Westward Expansion and go in covered wagons oh my to Fraz's house. Oh, <laughs> going to perfect. settle the West. Do you know that I had a hyper fixation on covered wagons? That probably doesn't surprise anyone now that I said that. I know. Like the covered wagon, honestly, like structurally and for the time was like riveting technology so it's like a valid obsession i couldn't stop thinking about how much i would be able to fit in my covered wagon 
if I would structure it like a little apartment, how many New oxen idea. I would get? What? New idea. Girl bossing to the sun right now. Van life is taking off. We buy a fleet of vans. Amazing. We hire someone from Pimp My Ride. We hire someone from that show. <laughs> We turned the van. That was such a good show. In, that was a good into show. Into cover. It really was. I loved it. We turned the vans into covered wagons, like the look, but it's still inside. So it's like you can travel the country in a covered wagon and settle it minus like the racism and genocide. Like it's yes. just for fun. Like Exactly. I We love can that get idea. our dogs oxen costumes. Yes, it comes with the costume and a dog. <laughs> so I might after this I might go sit down and draft do your some business research. plan. When I learned about certain things about the American history, you guys would have hated me in your class. I cried all the time. I would, I would have cry. loved you in your That's class. That's a valid response. No, though. I would get so mad because I'd People be crying so and the annoyed. kids were like, what's wrong with you? And I'd be like, where's the energy? Are you not upset? It's upsetting. But you were crying and your kids like didn't have, like they weren't, they were just Sometimes like, they would. You? Sometimes it would depend on the class. Like every year my after lunch class was like, mm. but some of my other classes would get really engaged and would get really mad and but I would cry at like specific things Mm -hmm. that they were just like weirded out by I was crying at um like student organized protests throughout like the protest era uh and I was crying because I was like it just it reminds me of you and I think about how these are the women that fought for me to have the rights that I have and then like I view them as heroes but looking back they're you and the kids were like you're probably like you're crazy (laughs) no literally (laughs) oh they just don't understand teenagers can only communicate their emotions via text message they can't Verbally. They would text me and they'd be like, that really meant a lot. Like, thank you. Aww. I love that. So sweet. Fruit snack. Do your kids cry in history class? Yeah. Slash, do you cry in history class? Yeah. No, I haven't had kids cry. I've had kids like, there's this one kid, love them. Um, they'll just get really pissed off mm. and they'll be like, this is so fucking stupid. Why are we learning about this? This is all about how like white people did us dirty. And I'm like, oh yeah. But there are times when they'll say stuff and I'm like, I completely agree. But I'm like, I can't do that as a teacher. I have to be neutral in this situation. Not for like awful atrocities. You can't be neutral in that aspect. But yeah, no crying yet. Anger is such a valid emotion though. They're like mad at the subject. They're like, this is like, we were talking about enslavement and like different ways of resisting enslavement. And they were just like mad, rightfully Mm -hmm. so. Like, Mm -hmm. rightfully so. Yeah, absolutely. It's just so important to know the history behind why things like racism is such a big issue in our country because it's always been an issue but like if you're just a middle schooler and you're seeing like the Black Lives Matter protests in 2020 for example, you're seeing the George Floyd, you're seeing his murder and you don't have like the back story for that I feel like that's really dangerous mm-hmm. it's never been more important to go into a history class and hear the other side of enslavement of the history in our country of the civil rights movement because it has historically been so whitewashed and in a lot of ways like see we fixed it like it no mm-hmm. no we there's did not a, didn't come out of a, nowhere like a guess a meme where it's like American school system teaching racism and it was like slavery was bad and then we ended it and then the vibes were bad and then MLK came and then one single and then it's like the last racist person on earth killed 
MLK, and now it's fine. That's how people view it. And that's what some kids think, though, which is really, like, disheartening. So breaking that up. Like, what you said, Redacted, about, like, this is you to your kids. It really is kind of amazing to see Gen Z and younger, how they are taking things into their own hands and really stepping up and saying, you know what, this shit's never been okay and it's not okay now and we're going to be loud about it, which historically people haven't always had the courage to do. Mm-hmm. Fruit snack. I'm also curious because for us, what you mentioned is like the conversation around education and history and like why it's so important has become a lot more in the mainstream than it was like when we were little kids. But the other interesting thing is that like history is being replaced by ELA pushing, which is important, but those are two very different things. And so it's interesting that like in the mainstream, we have this why it's important, yet in practice, it's kind of falling to the wayside. So fruit snack from a middle school perspective, like do you feel like history is being valued and you teaching your kids these things? Does it have buy-in and value from the kids and from like the government? Our curriculum was recently rewritten So it's so much reading and so much writing. Like we're really diving deep into like writing and Mm -hmm. it feels more like an ELA class than a social studies class, at least when we, when we were younger, I do feel the district has been making and the state has been making some better changes with the curriculum, but it does very much feel more ELA-esque. Like we are constantly writing, which you should always be writing. I think in every content they are pushing for more reading and writing in general. It's rough because when I was getting my master's, they were like teaching us about this stuff, but it wasn't teaching how to write and teaching how to like do ELA stuff. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I feel at a loss. And some of the other teachers um, who've been teaching longer in social studies are really struggling with like the big shift that has been happening with the standards where they're complaining like we've literally have not received any PDs on this. We do not know how to teach how you expect us to teach. So Mm -hmm. I think that's been a little bit hard. I do think reading and writing has its place in social studies, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it it already lends itself to it. So the the push to like replace it, Mm -hmm. it it feels like we were already reading and writing in history, guys. Like you don't need to be so aggressive. What's being cut out? And to me, this is some of the most important things for future like civic and historical literacy is like we're pushing all this reading and writing and we're leaving out interpreting photos, interpreting short documents, interpreting news, interpreting graphs and maps, like the amount of kids that when they look at a map, they're like, I have no idea what I'm looking at. That Mm -hmm. geography, it's like a small standard. So we have history, economics, geography. Those are all standards, but our power standards are inquiry standards. They want us Mm -hmm. to focus on that. But these kids don't know geography. Like having them identify our state on a map is like pulling teeth. It pains me, but they don't want us to focus on it. Reading and writing is super important, but my 11th grader cannot write an essay about sectional differences in the US if they cannot look at a map of the US and identify regions and borders and all these things. It's the foundation to being able to do good social studies reading and writing. And it's just like, they like rip the rug of the foundation out from under these kids and then put them, like Fraz said, expected to analyze all these sources and write their own thing when they don't even know what they're looking at. Yeah, I haven't taught explicit social studies since my first year teaching, 2018, because they take it away. They're like, oh, they get that in ELA. They're reading stories and they're, you know, doing projects in ELA. And I'm like, but no. Like the kindergarten standards are so important. I think I'm very passionate about kindergarten social studies, which looks totally different from you guys. I know it sounds ridiculous, but kids. No, I love kindergarten social studies. Learn what a person is. Learn what emotions are. 
and learn what a city is. Yes. And it's so critical because kids at that age are in the pre-operational stage, which means that they are very egocentric and like egocentric has like a negative connotation, but it's just that they only know themselves and their lives and their bodies. I'm going to have to re-record this in post, but I don't care Um, because she's barking behind me. They're in social studies starting out by expanding their worldview, going from myself to my family to my community to my school, da 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 and not teaching that from a social-emotional learning standard. It just feels like a disservice to them. Nope, we're just going to get rid of social studies. And- it's canceled. You shall read one article that Benjamin Franklin wrote, and that is enough. Fruit snack, you've been incredible. You've been an icon. What do you think your future holds? Well, I was thinking about what Fraz said earlier about not making decisions in October or February. Is that what you said, or March? And I do think I've been a little hot-headed recently. <laughs> so I need to, like, you know, do some a little reflection. I feel like I always feel this way, but I, I'm not going to stay in education forever. I don't think mentally I can do it. Feel like I've lost a lot of myself and my mental health has not been the best. But like everything that you're feeling is valid. And just because it's October, like I don't want you to ever discredit your very real emotions because it doesn't matter if it's a historically hard month. Like it's honestly historically hard for a reason. Everybody else is going to gaslight you. So don't gaslight yourself. It's okay to feel burnt out or whatever you're feeling is okay. I love and appreciate you I'd be worried if you weren't pissed. If you weren't pissed, I'd be like, you need to get this woman checked out. Yeah. (laughs) And I feel like as educators, like having that fire actually can be helpful because whether you leave the classroom or you stay, it's going to carry you into the next thing that you do. And it's, it's what makes you a good teacher. It's what makes you a good person. And like, it's why you're there and why you're the right person for that job. Even if that's just like a time and a place, don't feel guilty about putting yourself first. Thank you. I needed that. All my friends are saying the same thing. Yeah. And family, but I appreciate you guys so much. I appreciate you. you. I'm so glad that we got to like talk. Thanks for coming on our podcast podcast thanks thanks for listening thanks for talking thanks for teaching thanks for being a teacher and teaching the children because lord knows the government's trying to convince us not to for snack you've been incredible to our listeners if you're on your way to work you'll get through it (laughs) (laughs) oh god and uh yeah live laugh love when you get an email finding out you're switching grade levels mid-year just reply live laugh love and then don't decorate your new classroom don't do your best take your sick days take those personal days and don't feel guilty because you deserve them that's right yes perfect Mm -hmm. note to end on and bye bye. Bye. podcast land is over